believe that what God would have us to understand this morning is, is this principle of submission, humility, of the will broken from the self-life in Hebrews 4.12, separated, and that's the sanctification uh, growth process based upon, that's experience. See, progressive sanctification is experience, but it's based upon what we're already positioned in. So he's only working in us what he's already finished and worked out about us. And as long as we function in his love, in 1 John 4 and verse 18, there'll never be any fear. And without fear, you know, without pride, there'll be no deception and no denial. And, and functioning under, under Satan, who is the prince and power of the air, breathing in what he has in terms of a, a, thought, a thought projection. And in Revelations 12 and verse 9, he deceives the whole world, and he can deceive the Christian just as easily as he can the world when we function in the flesh, because the flesh is no different than the unsaved world. And it's in us to teach us what not and what to go for in Romans 8 and verse 9. That's why it teaches that in us, that's in the flesh. The flesh is in us, but in that flesh, in Romans 7, 18, dwells what? No what? No good thing. That means there's no God in the experience because only God himself, in Exodus 34 and verse 6, in Matthew 19 and verse 17, in Luke 18 and verse 19, there's no good in us but what comes from him by grace And that's where his love and wisdom flows through. And see, so it's it's amazing when we think about it. All we have to do is ask God. But for us to get to the place of James 1.5, if any lack wisdom, he has to show us what we lack. And what's that through? Through trials. Because otherwise, would we submit? No, we just would not do it. That's why we have these little tweakies these little pains and these little things. And that's why even in that sense, a pain is very good in that sense. Because the pain is always declaring to us dependence, need you can't meet. But he's given us these two comforters, and that's what we were were talking about just a, a few minutes ago, that when Jesus said, you know, he said in John 14, verse 1, let not your mind, okay, not your your heart, your ticker, but let your mind, right? let not your mind be troubled. Do you believe in God? Because if I did, would there be trouble? If I actually truly believed him. Do you believe in God? This is, look at what he's saying there. Do you believe in God? Yeah. Well, believe in me, because that's the God that gave me to you. <laughs> let not your heart be troubled, neither be a friend. I told you that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And as I, as I am preparing this place for you, I'm preparing you for that place. And that place there, in 14.3, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also, speaks of the most intimate fellowship. And that's again what's brought out by the hidden manna in the white stone in Revelations 2 and verse 17. This new name, which speaks of a new nature that only the one that gives it, Christ, and only the one that receives it, the particular individual in him, can know and have that depth of fellowship for all eternity. That's what makes it necessary for us to have to be separated, the soul, self-conscious living, from God-conscious living. See, so one is false image, 
self-conscious living in Hebrews 4.12, the word comes in and cuts that, and God-conscious living, which is proper image about who I am in Christ, with Christ the very image of God in Hebrews 1.3, in me. It's amazing. And that's why we need this unction. That unction in 1 John 2.20 is the Holy Spirit. That's the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus said. So he said, I am going to heaven. This what made it expedient for him in John 16 and verse 7, made it very expedient for him to go to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit. Taking the things of Christ and a multitude of those that were his. This multiplication is, and that again goes into the principle of the body. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, a joint that supplies. Because we all have that. So he said, there's one comforter that we need in heaven, and he is. And it's beautiful how it works, this unction. This unction in 1 John 2, 20. The beauty of it is, is that we have Christ in heaven. And according to Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews 7, 25, and in Hebrews 9, verse 26, he is ever living. He is living his life interceding for us. Interceding for us like only he can, like we can't, but only he can because he put on the seed of who? In Hebrews 2.16, he put on the seed of Abraham. He didn't put on the seed of Abraham because he fell in natural life. But the life that Isaac was in the type wasn't of natural life. It was the seed. It was the Isaac, which would is the type of Christ. And that was he who was formed in, in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl, Mary, in Luke 1 and verse 35. So we have a comforter in heaven interceding for us. And it's always about comfort. And even there is where the loving chastisement comes from. Even there. Even there. So He's there. And then we have a comforter on the earth because he said, I'm going to give you another comforter other than himself is what he was saying in 1416. And that's going to be the Holy Spirit who will be in you, will be in you. And that would be when Christ would form the church in Matthew 16 and verse 18, when that church would begin in Acts, the second chapter, before Paul was ever called, there was the church being established. Okay? It's just that God raised him up to be the apostle and teacher of it. But both were exclusive of the flesh <laughs> and only inclusive of Christ himself, and again, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that we have another comforter. The other comforter was the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 and verse 26. The Holy Spirit is able, when we struggle, to take even beyond what we groan. And sometimes our groanings, they go beyond words that we can even aptly express. The Holy Spirit knows it, but he knows the heart of God and he takes those prayers. This is the unction we have. He takes those prayers and brings them to Christ who can declare them so incredibly. That's even why it says in John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing, Zero, it's less than nothing. First Corinthians 13 brings it out that, that we, you can do all these things and you don't have love, you don't have God, you're less than even zero. That's what, they, that's what the Greek is saying. And so we have this other comforter and that's the Holy Spirit. 
And so that's the unction in 1 John 2.20. And that's why in 2.27, we don't have need that any man, the man in the flesh or any other man should teach us except the one who is united to Christ in Ephesians 4.8. And when it says in Ephesians 4.8, he led captivity captive, fulfilling Psalm 68 and verse 18. He led captivity captive, and it says, and he gave gifts unto men. And there it says in Psalm 68, 18, even to the rebellious, he's referring even that in that sense as Messiah toward the rebellious nation of Israel. But does God see us that way in Christ? That's why it's left out in Ephesians 4, 8. He led captivity captive, it says, and he gave gifts unto men. He gave gifts. And those are the men that are attached to Christ and only does their gift flow perfectly through the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ and God the Father and to bless those that hear. That's why it says that those that have that gift in, in Ephesians 4.11, that only those men that are attached, and that means submitted to Christ and Him alone, so that all that flows in and through the gift that's a vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, is the treasure of Christ himself with no flesh added to it. That's unction, and this is Christ. And that's why, again, Jesus was teaching his disciples in John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing. To this day does it profit us in Romans 7, 18. No. Is there any good in it? No. When I would do good, what is present with me? Evil. What does that mean? When I would do good, how do I see good? Well, I'll call in Isaiah 5, verse 20. Some call good evil and evil good. Some put light for darkness, darkness for light, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. That's what the flesh does with the word. And it's fleshly interpretation. When it's not the unction, the Holy Spirit, that becomes the man that we don't have a need of in 1 John 2, 27. But we all have this anointing, and that's God, the Holy Spirit. And that's why even Paul would say this in his growth, in his learning. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13 was an apostle speaking to a young pastor. We need to remember, and it's Isagogic, it's historical frame of reference, that was an apostle teaching a young pastor. He said in 2.13, even if we abide not faithful, because we'll fail, we're weak, we fail, we sin, okay. He abides faithful, he won't deny himself. Meaning that God will always be faithful to who he is when we submit to him, when we confess our sins, and that's what makes necessary keeping a very short account of sin in 1 John 1, 9, because it, again, again, that's James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what? Sin. And that is capacity, but when the light comes on and it reveals it, then it becomes a choice. So sin is in the will, or obedience with the return of God's love is in the will. So first John 2.27, we don't have any need that just we don't we don't have a need that any man should teach us, because who is our need? In Philippians 4 and verse 19, it's Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit, He will take the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, and show them unto us. But he has nothing to do with the flesh. That's why with those men that have those gifts in Ephesians 4, 11, and we need to remember, there are no more apostles. There are no more prophets. And prophets there in Ephesians 4, 11 are not Old Testament prophets because they never knew the things that are ours in Christ. 
They never did like us. Prophets, there's New Testament prophets. New Testament prophets. The prophecy that will be done away and be fulfilled again is what we have the more sure word of in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19. We have a more sure word of prophecy because that's when it's dealt with, it's going to pass away, but what we have in Christ will never pass away. This is it's so amazing when we think about these things. And God brings us to a place so that we can understand them. Gosh, and so that he can be glorified in us as a vessel. And boy, with reverence and awe, we are so blessed. And so we don't have any, that, any need that any, any man should teach us. Because Christ is our need. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ with a submitted will in Ephesians 4 and verse 13. Then the Holy Spirit is free to take the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and to show them unto me. And what will always show me first is how God the Father is so glorified by his Son. And then the Holy Spirit will take that positional reality and truth and make it known to us in our experience when we're submitted to him. And that's why God resists the proud in James 4, 6. But he gives a greater degree of grace to those that he's humbled. And in that way, when we're humbled, therefore we can submit to God. Then the devil will flee from us. Then we can draw near to God. He will draw near to us. He'll cleanse our hands because we can't. He'll purify our hearts from being double-minded. And then he increases the soul from being very small in the flesh. In Proverbs 24 and verse 10, if I faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The Hebrew says you've got a small soul. How small is our soul? Oh, how limited. You read the 78th Psalm, how much they limited to God. 78, 19, I believe, says they limited the Holy One in Israel. Somewhere, if it's not in that verse, it's in that Psalm. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? In other words, will God provide our needs in this world system? Or, should we, or does he have need of us first to worry and to doubt and to fear? Yeah, so, but no, thank God we have this anointing. We have God the Holy Spirit, who, and it has nothing to do with man's emotions. I'm going to make that crystal clear. That teaching will say that there's certain anointings that when you preach, Holy Spirit comes upon you when you, 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 you can weep. and Listen, I, I, I am all for that when it's brokenness. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 9-1 was a weeping prophet. Jesus wept in John 11 and verse 35. Yes, he did. And Paul did for the space of three years in Acts 20, 19, and 31. I agree with that. But that's the brokenness of the will so that the life of Christ can flow in the vessel that gives the word into those that will receive it. The only place that we will be thankful is in the a proper place as his creation, as his creatures, is in a humbled receiving place. So that's, uh, there we have, and that, that is what flows, as Mike was sharing so beautifully this morning, about how we should abide in him. And abiding there in 1 John 2.28, the, the apostle John is bringing out what Jesus was teaching him through the power of the Holy Spirit in John the 15th chapter. And when we abide in him, we have his joy. Read it in 15.7 right through. Of, of the Gospel of John. 
Because if we don't abide in him, we will always live under the power of the flesh and Satan, and it will always give us a cloak or an excuse in John 15, 22. And that excuse is just the interference from God through, the, through his Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for us to receive the beauty of who he is in us, in our proper image. And that's why, again, in Hebrews 4.12, the word is living. He ever lives. See? He ever lives in, John, in, in Hebrews 7.25. The word is ever living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's very precise. It says, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. What that's talking about is when those sacrifices, they were to be without blemish. Again, in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and Numbers 19, 1 and 2, those sacrifices were cut to peace, so there was not a blemish in any piece. It was pure. It spoke of the Son of God, and that's when we partake even in he, and it's explaining communion beautifully like it goes in Matthew the 26th chapter and 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter and in 26th verse and down through there. It's teaching us the communion and what we continually partake of him and to partake of him. That's why we need the separation of the flesh, the soul, so that we can have intimate communion and partaking of him. And that's fellowship in 1 John 1, 1 to 3. That's what we have for each other. We, the only thing we have to give to each other is Christ. And that's called fellowship, and nothing else is fellowship. Does anyone have any questions or comments?